and welcome to the Rethink Energy podcast with myself, Andres Vantanar, and my colleagues Peter White and Simon Thompson. Harry Morgan will be rejoining us next week. It's been a quiet week, though, hasn't it? In what way? <laughs> no, it hasn't. Oh, Sorry. I'm, only, I'm, so, I'm joking. I'm, I'm kidding. Because when you said I'm that kidding. on email, I thought, no, oh, no, I no. It. no, it's, you know, energy has just, you know, it's hit the front pages. It's uh, the, the world is shrieking about these gas prices. I guess it's the, uh, the elephant in the room. The thing is, this afternoon, we have a webinar on that very subject. Yeah. And we've got a couple of guests. We've got Arjun Flora from IEFA and we've got Kingsmill Bond from Carbon Tracker. And we have a little introduction of just setting the scene from Harry. But that, that scene was set um, almost a week ago. It's moved on. Interestingly, though, the debate is all about the wrong things, as usual. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's um, an academic at Oxford University who's, um, who's called uh, uh, Dieter Helm. And he's a very um, shrewd and uh, interesting, interested economist who's written a book on how, how to solve the carbon crisis. And he did a, um, a review for the government in 2017, and they completely ignored everything he said. <laughs> and the things he said were things like, well, if you get an energy license, you've got to, in order to stay underneath Ofgem's cap on energy, you've got to... Uh, contractually uh, be able to deliver that energy at least a year in advance you have to know where it's coming from so you have to have long-term contracts and with existing suppliers that guarantee you that delivery and you've got to pay the right price for that obviously guaranteed delivery costs money and you also have to buy hedge uh, hedging against what will happen if the price is changed on you uh, illegally, uh, you know, without those contracts, or if you need more than is in those contracts, so you need to buy hedging. So it's another expensive item, and he said it should be made almost conditional upon getting a license. You shouldn't be allowed to trade without it. And the government went, no, no, no. The price of gas is coming down. It's only going one direction. Um, let's trust the market. And um, and he kind of put all this in in a, a proper report that was given to the government. He said, no, th- thanks very much, but we're not going to do that. And what they did is they called on a load of other economists who, whose salaries happen to be paid by oil companies and gas companies. He said, no, no need. And, so I think he says, you mentioned in this article, he wants like six gas companies in the UK instead of 60. And how no, many? Are- I think he just wants he just wants each one. To be grown up and responsible and to um, have the right relationships with other gas suppliers. He wants, he, w- he just wants it done properly. He doesn't, he, he, you know, and, and whereas the, the Boris Johnsons of this world, the, the uh, UK Prime Minister, just wants it done, you know, oh, look, look, lots of, lots of entrepreneurs, aren't they great? Yeah, Britain has lots of entrepreneurs who make lots of money. Isn't it fantastic? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are 70 uh, energy suppliers uh, at the moment and, and there's a great good possibility that that half of them will go bust. and he's going well you know it's, only, it's, not, it's not a bad thing because at least the other house will do it properly but the, the he's a great believer that, that if you see the problem coming you just write the correct regulations for it and there should be no problem but you've got to change um, the way you regulate the market. In fact, one of the things he, he, he mentioned, and I, I wasn't quite sure I got this, he said it, it shouldn't be about marginal cost. 
So what that means is that if you operate a gas turbine and you're producing 10 megawatts of output, in order to produce 15 megawatts of output, you just the, the extra cost of doing so is just more fuel, about it, which which amounts to about a third of your total costs. And if you operate a um, wind farm and you're um, currently only contracted to deliver about 10% of your energy, to deliver some more costs you precisely nothing. What happens is through the bidding process, you're bid up all the time as there's a shortage of electricity um, in the electricity market. And what happens is the last price which is bid will be gas uh, because there's a shortage and you end up with a market price lifting to include the marginal cost of gas. So to pay for your gas. So the electricity prices is, is it goes sky high. And yet the solar panels, solar farms and wind farms are making a killing. They're making a windfall. Well, more to the point, given that if they supply through the contract for difference, the government's making a windfall because they're paying most of that back to the government. And it's all because you know, you're, it's, it's, it's whatever is the dominant high price at the time dictates the price of electricity. And at the moment, it's gas. He kind of thinks that they should all be relate back to their actual costs. Now, for gas, it wouldn't change. But then, but for um, solar and uh, wind, um, it would change. You're saying, well, it doesn't cost me hardly any more. I've got spare electricity. I'm selling it over here to someone else on a, um, for this much. I can sell it back to the to the grid instead for the just a tiny bit more, and that's my cost. My cost is is losing that bit of revenue, and, and that's that's almost nothing. Um, and so the, the then the gas just becomes the last ten percent you buy, rather than the dominant price on, on which transactions are conducted. And then if you so if you construct your market like that, there might be other ways of abusing a market like that. But if you regulate it properly. Uh, within your settlements process, it's cost plus a bit. Uh, and so where you've got zero marginal cost, that, that's not very much. So, I mean, that was that's that's an economist's view of this crisis. <laughs> um, and, and that's interesting. But then a politician's view of the crisis, right. it's, it's Putin's fault. You, you touched you touched on this in your article about uh, gas prices, uh, about a research company that has tracked the rise in gas prices and it starts off with coal in China in April uh, as, a, <laughs> as a response to the coronavirus yeah. uh, sort of economic comeback. Yeah, well, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, that that's at the time you're saying, how can China get back on their feet so fast from the coronavirus? And no one's saying, and what will this do to the world economy if China's on its feet and no one else is? And you, you go, well, it'll start using energy at the same rate that um, it was produced before. But you, you have all these other issues. You know, there are questions like, well, where was Norway? You know, Norway, mm. we've got a, a gas pipeline to Norway. Why weren't we importing gas from there? Mm. Because the Norwegians were making a killing selling it into Europe. Mm. <laughs> and why were they making a killing? Because the spot market dried up. The spot market dried up because... Contrary to a kind of capitalist viewpoint, instead of, oh, look, the price is going up, let's flood the market and make make a killing, um, Russia decides to, well, hold on, winter's coming, let's fill our coffers up first, let's fill our storage up, 
let's say that we'll be delivering a bit more to China. Let's actually uh, uh, honour all of our long-term contracts that most people no longer have. Mm. And, let, and, and we can see that this blip in the, the spot market is going up, up, up. But we're not going to put any of our gas on the spot market to make all that money because we've got other political agendas. Um, and, and mostly it's about pushing the Nord Stream 2 pipeline through. So this is a, a weapon aimed at Germany, uh, which missed and hit England. Uh, and, and the UK is, says, oh, we, we don't we only import 5% of our Russia, uh, uh, 50% of our gas, but most of it from Europe and Qatar and a little bit from America. So actually, we can't be hurt by Ru- Russian um, gas um provision because it's only five percent of what we use yeah but if you're still importing 50 percent you've got to get it from somewhere and if the market spikes where you're getting it from the price has gone up it still affects you directly you can't say that putin aimed this weapon at the uk it didn't it's just yeah we're collateral damage so nobody knows really why this gas price spike has has uh oh no no it's definitely don't get me wrong exactly why russia's definitely seen the price rising and responded uh not like a capitalist would that's why why why, uh that's why economists have trouble you know understanding what what why wouldn't you just make a killing you know when the market's high no it's decided to pull all of its gas reserves out of the spot market um, and it's done that to exacerbate the problem. And it's done that purely for a political long-term advantage. Now, I mean, you look at uh, Germany. So while the UK imports 50% of its natural gas, maybe 55%, Germany, it, it only gets 5% from Russia. But Germany gets 50% from Russia. Germany, Italy, 50% of their gas is imported from Russia. Poland, Hungary, Slovenia, 40%. You know, France, 24%. So... Yeah, there, there is a problem. It's much wider. It's a global problem. And it's just true that the original problem, the tightness in price, is caused by uh, Japan, uh, South Korea, China, all increasing the amount of gas they use somewhat over a period of time. And then we switch off the gas supply during the pandemic. And then those economies coming back harder and faster and earlier than everyone else and soaking up um, more than they normally would. So it definitely is caused by that. And then Putin saying, yeah, we can do a little something with this. <laughs> I, certainly I can demonstrate my power and stop people um, bullying me on sanctions over the Ukraine, if nothing else. I could just demonstrate to everybody, hey, you know, I'm being nice to you. I'm, I'm supplying the heat to your homes. So uh, that reminder is uh, politically apposite, and uh, it's definitely happened. But, you know, if you were in a, a marketplace to make money and there was a shortage of, of the commodity you dealt with, you put some of your commodity into the market to, to, to make some of that money. Uh, Russia has not behaved in that way. It's got longer term political aims. So what's the reaction of the renewables industry to all of this? Um, so it, safe, um, the, well, long term and short term. I'm and more least... worried. I'm not. I'm, so so long long term in, in a 10 year time frame, obviously, sell more renewables, get off 
your your reliance on gas. That's a long-term aim, and you can't fix it tomorrow that way. I'm I'm much more concerned about politicians who have no grasp of the marketplace making policy decisions. I mean, there are, there's calls in the press to invest in more nuclear, and the price at which you're buying electricity from nuclear is insane. I have a, a couple of comments in in relation to Simon's question about how um, how disruptive these uh, the price spike is for renewables. And you know, like you said, it should be a good thing in the long run. But you know, the Spanish are putting a tax on I was renewables. Going to ask, yes, and I think that's yes, just that's them sad. being uh, they they want to transfer costs and, mm. and put the costs on people they see as as making a lot of money because it's a socialist government and they don't want to um, inflict the high costs on the customers if they can avoid it to some extent. And and, and probably because it's Spain, they're still worried about government debt, um, whereas other governments feel more confident about just subsidizing it. And another another disruptive effect has been in in China. I mean, I think we're going to do a big article, at least uh, on China's woes next week. Um, I just wrote about the solar industry in China and when you disrupt the power supply and make it more expensive, that's really bad for polysilicon. So I just wrote another article about that. Um, I mean, I, I think the uh, you're talking about the yeah, because here we are blaming China for taking all the gas. And China's got rolling blackouts. Hmm. And, yes, in the north. Yes, and, and, it's, saying, and it's yeah, deliberately yeah. no, not just in the north. It's everywhere for industry. Okay. And in three regions in the north, it's also for homes. Hmm. You're talking uh, about people like freezing to death. Well, they did last year. We, we, yeah, we see it in, in England. We see it in America. People can't afford to put the heating on. They don't put it on. They die. You know, they didn't. But no one meant that to happen. It ha- does happen. And there are statistics on how many people it happens to in, in every country. And they're all freely available. But, but, but nobody looks at them. And they always you hear China's doing. Oh, that's terrible. And then you don't realize your own country's doing it as well. The Spanish thing, I think, is um, is really interesting. The um, the idea that, see, I mean, it, I, I'm torn in two directions here. I mean, the whole point about renewables is as they get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, they become a much more uh, attractive investment because the yield on the, the money employed, is it goes up and up and up. And so uh, until one day they can compete with fossil fuels, which after all is raid the earth, the stuff that's, really valuable, uh, burn it, and um, and that's all you're doing. And it's massively profitable because you, you didn't have to create anything in the first place. Um, but fossil fuels as a business is more profitable than um, the renewables still. And as a result, investors, you know, what, what, when, when renewables becomes as profitable as fossil fuels, they won't be able to stop themselves. They'll just see the dollar signs and say, yeah, 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 sign me up. But while renewals is, is yielding, I don't know, 8% or 9% or something on funds employed, um, you, fossil fuels is, is yielding 20. So until we get to that point where renewables uh, smashes fossil fuels as an investment, um, people will still... Um, there won't be enough investment for renewables. So as soon as you start putting a tax on it, you've just moved that date further into the future. Now, if that tax is temporary for a year or two, that's not a problem. But if that tax becomes permanent, what you're doing is subsidising fossil fuels. 
I was very interested to see Harry's article about uh, a, char- a company called Chariot Oil and Gas uh, investing in a hydrogen project, a 10 gigawatt hydrogen project off the coast of West Africa. Oh, I so, love that story. I mean, yeah, I, was, yeah I, I actually, you know, I had to look on the map to remind myself where Mauritania was. Mm, okay. <laughs> and, and there it was right next to the Western Sahara. And, um, and it was bigger. And it's got the perfect... Um, temperature for solar, but but what renewables I, Nirvana, isn't it? Yeah, and I didn't realize it had that kind of wind as well. And obviously, uh, the company, um, that has, has a real understanding of, of the economics of shipping energy from Africa into Europe. And, it's um, a little bit like that story with the 45 gigawatt someone was planning in Kazakhstan, in Kazakhstan. but it's in a better location. Mm. And and one last thing about uh, well, Gen- General Motors. You turned up for the press conference, Peter. By the sound, I, I did, I did, and I was absolutely shocked. You know, I listened to Mary Barra talk. She did two minutes at the front, and she stumbled on her words three times because she couldn't <laughs> read the auto cue. Oh. And if it doesn't come with passion from the leadership, it's ah. it's fake. And, and then the next the next guy was clearly a salesman. He didn't have a, a um, technical grasp. I mean, all right, he's talking to investors. Okay, you don't have to roll out your technical grasp to investors. You do really. If you want to convince them that you are you are a Tesla and a half, you know you're already bigger than Tesla, and and now you're going to be as good as them. You really need to convince people that you have an understanding of um so we did a report on connected car about three years ago and one of the things we found is that outside of north america no one pays for a subscription that people were bundling it in a bit like warranty being bundled in for the first three years you know being bundled into a car for the first two two years or three years because no one would separately with money for things like personal navigation and also for um so so if all all of your uh, engine has chips on it which are reporting back so that you have a big data collection that says which parts of your engine are healthy and which need maintenance that's great um if you you're kept on the road and you're, you you know, you know it automatically schedules you an appointment at a nearby dealer to have uh, something changed because it's going to fail that means that you you never have a breakdown on the side of the road that's great or with an electric vehicle somewhere to charge it immediately or to keep the thing charged yes Which and is that's, auto- that's automatic i mean you don't think it's, it's an automatic you have to have it so to suggest that they're going to get 25 billion dollars in connected car services when the, all of those services are going to become bundled over time. And to point the, the finger 10 years out, and we're going to increase by 25 billion in services 10 years out, it's all bounce. It's not, it's not going to happen. It's not credible. And, that, and to try and, what they're trying to do is get the idea that they're a Netflix or, or, mm. or a Spotify built into the, the, I mean, how long has it taken them to get 4.2 million cars on these services? They've been selling them for 15 years and they've been pushing them hard. And they've had dealers that are professional sales guys, car salesmen, who are unable to push this. And so suddenly they're going to 
everyone's going to automatically take the service. Yeah, I'll have music as well, please. And I'll have personal navigation. Not when they're free on your phone. Why would you? You know, it's just, it's especially, what are you going to do is not have Bluetooth connections to your speaker system because your phone, once it's connected by, by Bluetooth, it's part of the car. So I, I just find all that's naive, or, or rather, it's treating the investor like the investor is naive, and it'll backfire. You know, it's, I'd, I'd like much rather see the, the designers um, out there, the, the, the chief technology officer, talking about the challenges that they, they had to overcome when they first designed EVs and how they've overcome them and why they're going to overtake Tesla. But that they, they were just bland salesman-like reassurances, which they stumbled over because they were reading them from an auto queue. And it was the delivery, not the content and the message that was the problem.